Welcome to Reveal, the Revenue Intelligence Podcast powered by Gong. We're your hosts, Devin Reed. And I'm Sheena Badani. Revenue intelligence is a new way of operating based on customer reality instead of opinions, making data-driven decisions based on facts instead of opinions or guesswork. And it's made up of three success pillars, people intelligence, deal intelligence, and market intelligence. You know, the things all revenue teams need and care about. Every week, we interview senior revenue professionals and share their stories and insights on how they leverage revenue intelligence to drive success and win their market. You'll hear how modern go-to-market teams win as a team, close revenue with critical deal insight, and execute their strategic initiatives, plus all the challenges that come along with it. So, Sheena, I asked our guest this question, but I'm curious... And, and you've already heard the answer, so you might be, you know, you might be, you know, guided in one direction. But I'm curious: Do you call it virtual sales, remote sales, hybrid sales, inside sales, or Ooh. D, all of the above, or E, none of the above? And maybe you have a new, a new term to coin today. Huh. Um, good question. It's kind of interesting because I feel like over the whole you know, this pandemic time period, we were creating a lot of content. We were talking about this topic in a lot of different ways. And we came up with that problem of like, Hey, is, is it virtual? Is it hybrid? Is it something else? Um, I think I tend to lean on virtual, Mm -hmm. but I think that's going to evolve again. And I think if you ask me in one year, I think I'm going to be saying hybrid a lot more. Because yeah. it's going to be mixed and it's not going to be 100% virtual all the time. So, yes, I may say virtual right now, but hybrid, I think, is going to be the way of the future. Brilliant answer. I'm going to just say I agree. But the reason also was we're, when we were, you know, as head of content at Gong, we were making a lot of content when the pandemic happened. And we were, I remember asking you and Udi, yeah. like, is it remote? Is it virtual? Like, are we talking hybrid? And I think at the time, no one knew. But we landed on remote because that's what everyone felt was like, we just went remote really quickly. So we're going to call it remote sales. I agree with you. We've settled into virtual and I agree we will evolve again into hybrid, which will be like right now we're not truly hybrid, or at least not, you know, across all teams uh, for the folks that are back in person. But um, the reason I ask, and if you've clicked this podcast, if you're hearing our voice, you probably already saw it in the title or the description, but We got to hang out with David Deming, partner at Bain, to talk specifically about virtual selling. I had a really good time. I thought it was interesting. Yeah, it was a great conversation. And again, the perspective that Dave is able to bring is from the dozens, if not hundreds of conversations that he has on a regular basis with top tier sales and revenue executives across a lot of different industries. So he's able to bring a unique perspective. It's not just from, you know, his experience working at one company or only working at high growth tech companies. No, like this is what he's able to share, what he's learned from across industries, verticals, geos, et cetera, um, and the research that they've done on that front. Got to give a shout out to the Bain Research. It's one of our favorite things. You know, we like data here. We talk a lot about data in this interview. And my favorite takeaway was the, and we talk about this a lot, the difference between not just opinions in reality, but what sellers think is reality and what buyers say is reality, right? And that kind of mm-hmm. disconnect in the perception there. So that's what we get into. 
Um, if you are interested, if, I'll tell you what, if your team is virtual selling, you're going to get something out of this. I'm going to make a blanket <laughs> statement and I stand <laughs> by that statement. You will get at least one thing. Uh, and you're going to hear a lot of, uh, what kind of what's working and what's not when it comes to coaching, uh, when it comes to rolling out sales tech, that's a big one. I'm sure, you know, in Q4 or Q1, people usually start to think about new tools and whatnot. So let's get right on into it and let's go hang out with David. Let's do it. Dave, welcome to Reveal. We're so excited to have you on the show today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Excited to be here. So, you know, for the listeners, today we're going to go really deep into the topic of virtual selling and how that's evolved over time. It's definitely a hot topic for, for many, just given everything that's been going on in the world. Uh, but before we do that, I want to ask you, Dave, what drew you into research around sales. Bain is known for the data-driven research that it does, which we love and clearly you love too. But what drew you to this area in the first place? Yeah, you know, it was actually my first job out of college. I was a technical sales rep or sales engineer, we called it at the time. So I cut my teeth, you know, running around doing demos, trying to help my sales team close deals. And to be honest, we, we were not very data-driven at that time. So I've had a mm -hmm. passion for trying to help help teams get better along that dimension. That's amazing. And I expect that um, even now as your role as a partner, there's definitely a sales aspect uh, to that role as well. Oh, absolutely. You know, it's, it's one of the things I love about my job is, you know, I get to go off and um, help clients understand their, their problems and how we might uh, shape uh, projects to solve them. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So let's get into the meat of the topic today um, about virtual selling. So you re recently co-authored an article called Virtual Selling Has Become Simply Selling. What do you mean by that phrase? Tell us more about that. Yeah, that phrase actually, we it was uh, from a, one of the first clients that we interviewed. It was a quote from that interview. You know, we were talking about the evolution of virtual selling and how there used to be these great debates of inside sales, velocity sales, all these different terms and where and how might you use these different models? And we kind of came to this epiphany that it's all merging together in some sense. And it's no longer a debate between should I do this virtually or not, but really just how and where is it going to work best? Mm. And that's a, that's a far cry from the way things were uh, not so long ago. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Like there's a bit of convergence. It doesn't matter what you're doing. It's, there's some differences and nuances in how, but in general, broad strokes, there's similarities across all sales motions. Yeah, that's right. You can't ignore it. It may, is maybe another way to think about it. You can't you can't pretend that virtual is not part of your job just because you're a field rep or an enterprise rep or or whatever type of sales uh, role you might have. It's going to touch you in some way. Ever since the pandemic, there's kind of these couple terms thrown around. There's like remote sales, hybrid sales, virtual sales. I could argue, you know, by definition, there's probably some nuance there, but I'm curious from you, are those all synonymous? Is there a core difference? Is there a phrase that we should say versus not say when we're talking about virtual selling? Yeah, when we, I can tell you what we mean when we use the phrase, we try to be pretty expansive about it. I, I do think you're right. There have been a lot of terms thrown around. Inside sales is probably the most widely used one for what people used to think of as being, you know, people all co-located in one spot using the phone primarily to drive sort of usually smaller or simpler deals. That's sort of one phrase, but by virtual, and sometimes, sometimes people think that's what we mean, but virtual selling, what we're really trying to do is think of it far more expansively. It's how can all reps use the range of technologies at their, at their fingertips, whether that's things like this, video interaction technology, 
or it's some of the technologies that you guys make around using more data to drive how people interact with customers. It's, it's sort of trying to take all of those range of tools and methods and interactions and merge them and use them together in the way that's most effective and trying to break down a little bit of some of those historic barriers between inside sales or outside sales, you know, velocity sales or enterprise sales. We're trying to sort of get away from that and think of a, a slightly different paradigm. That makes a lot of sense. Virtual selling has been around for a while. Um, I was in, started in sales around 10 years ago and I was the inside seller. So I learned, um, I don't know if we actually use Zoom, but you know, everyone says Zoom, you know, to communicate and to sell. And then as I got more mature, I learned to actually go to David's office and shake someone, you know, shake their hand and, and run a, you know, run a meeting with eight people around a big boardroom. Um, so that's kind of, you know, it's been around for a while, but how has the pandemic changed virtual selling aside from the accelerated adoption? It's a couple different things. I think you're right. There's this historic notion that there was a kind of progression and you'd start in inside sales and you'd cut your teeth there and eventually you'd learn and you'd move to field sales. And then you'd sort of be like, oh, I'm not, you know, I'm not going to be on the phone anymore. That's, that's what I did five years ago. And so there was a little bit of this sense of kind of a one-way street. And I think what's really um, changed in the pandemic is people's attitudes towards that have just fundamentally changed. You know, I think it used to be there was these bright lines, you know, oh, deals over this size couldn't possibly be done virtually or new customers right. couldn't possibly do that virtually. We hear that from clients and field sales reps all the time. And I think the data that we gathered as part of this research is pretty clear that those barriers are not really meaningful on the customer side. <laughs> you know, they're, they're quite happy with virtual interactions for all types of different different deals. You know, I think our research showed it was 92% of buyers prefer virtual interactions in most circumstances. And so what really changed in the pandemic was it's kind of this attitudinal shift of no longer could people sort of retreat back to these prior definitions and walls that had been sort of erected almost for kind of internal reasons, the Salesforce machinations, the career maturity on the sales side. And they're starting to have to worry about more what customers want and how they can actually adapt themselves to deliver the, the sales process that's most effective for them. So that's really what what changed. That's really interesting because as we she and I was saying, if we've talked to folks, you know, we, we heard it all the time too, especially in the beginning, like, you know, customer roundtables and all these things is, you know, if we're not in person, our buyers will think we don't care. And then I feel like a couple months later, we started hearing buyers say, no, we are fine with virtual sales. Like if I can just log into a computer, that's actually much easier for me. It's much more efficient. So it's interesting always, you know, the data helps with it, but there's that seller perception of what we think works or what we think needs to happen versus hearing, like you said, from the buyers and seeing the data of actually it's totally fine and it works. Yeah, we saw that in a couple different ways. You know, the way we structured our research is we interviewed both buyers of complex products and sellers. And you see that disconnect in lots of different, lots of different ways. You know, what, one of the other ones that we highlight a lot is we have this concept we like to call, you need to think about winning the deal before it gets to the rep. And when you ask a lot of sellers, okay, what's most important in a buyer's journey? How do they make their decision? At what point are they narrowing vendor lists down? Are they defining requirements? They will consistently overestimate their own importance, which is, you know, a little humbling for all of us. It's probably a somewhat human nature for all of us to do something like that. And they will systematically underestimate the importance of their digital footprint. So whether that's the own website or online reviews or forums that customers are doing all this data gathering and interaction with your products before they even pick up the phone and talk to someone live. And, and that dynamic is really important, we think. 
it's kind of interesting. Like I feel like now since the pandemic, we've been doing a lot of assessments of customers and how receptive they are to virtual selling. Did we even ask pre pandemic how customers would have been open to that? I think now it's just been a shift because it was forced, but maybe buyers were totally open to this five years ago and we didn't even care to ask our customers what they wanted. It's, it's true. I do think back to De- Devin, I think was really smart when he said, look, there's these sacred cows almost in the sales force of these career progressions that okay. calcified people into these roles. Like, no, no, I'm a field-based rep. And that means I go in the field and I do, you know, do things this way. And that's sort of wrapped up in your role and how you think about your job. And it's a little disconnected. You're right, Sheena, sometimes from the way the customers actually want to be interacted with. So you talked a little bit about um, digital footprint as part of the success of virtual selling, right? It is one of the components. It's not just how the rep may be interacting with the client. Can you talk a little bit about what else you're seeing that companies are doing that are leading and contributing to the success of virtual selling overall? Yeah, we, we have five things we like to talk about. The first one is what you just mentioned. How do you think about taking responsibility for the customer journey holistically and not just where sales traditionally steps in and takes over. So winning the deal before it gets to rep. That's that's one thing. The second one is a little bit what we've just been talking about. You need to be rethinking your coverage models and you can't have these calcified notions of hard decks around inside versus outside sales. You need to be far more nuanced in tuning the type of coverage models and sales plays you're putting together uh, to, to reach your customers in the most effective way. And then that leads into the third thing, which is we have this concept called sales plays, which is how do you get far more prescriptive around identifying a set of targets and products and sales motions that you can enable your sales force with, as opposed to, you know, maybe the old days of letting the cowboys and cowgirls roam roam the earth trying to do deals. How do you give them a far more prescriptive set of tools and enablement to help them help them go off and close specific things? And then there's a whole set of, uh, initiatives and things we talk about around how do you enable folks with the right digital tools. So we have this concept that we call digital cockpits. What that really just means is how do you get the right set of curated tools for the right role? You know, what a field-based AE needs, far different than what a territory manager needs, different than what a deep technical rep needs. Yet often we just think of enabling the sales force with tools. And so we have this concept of getting the right tools for the right roles, digital cockpits, And then actually the fifth thing would be making sure those are actually adopted and effectively used. So how do you actually not just install the tools, but actually get people using them, drive to to real adoption. So those are the the five things we've seen our clients do to be successful. There's a lot of different um, aspects that you cover there, everything from enablement to using technology, et cetera. Who's responsible for this? Like, who are you speaking to when you go to these large clients? Yeah. One of the other insights that we've driven out of this is the sales operations team, and that can take different forms and roles at different um, different clients, ends up being a pretty important part of this. Because where we've seen sometimes people fail is when they do this in a fully decentralized way. And every group, whether that's geography or product team or however a sales team might be organized, is trying to roll their own. And then that's oftentimes you end up with this mishmash of approaches and tools. And so Oftentimes, we're, we're also talking to our science clients simultaneously about maturing that role. Because in, in some sales forces, I'm sure we've all worked there, frankly, sales ops can be a little bit of a backwater. You know, it's not necessarily always the most advanced part of a sales team. But in this new world where 
data is more important and you want to get more prescriptive and helpful to your sales force, having a strong operations team is really important. In the same, in the same article that Sheena had mentioned, uh, you said that sales teams are investing in a mishmash of tools, which as someone who has sold sales tech for a long time, I can confirm that is a phrase said all the time. Uh, <laughs> and that can limit ROI or confuse frontline reps. Uh, again, like, like me, I've, I've been there. How can teams effectively roll out new tools without overwhelming reps? Yeah, it's, you're absolutely right. We see this all the time, just, just people overwhelmed and, and frankly, not even always understanding the set of tools that they have and the capabilities at their fingertips. That's another common and related problem. But a, a couple of different things we see our clients do that, that are more successful with this. The first relates back to this concept of digital, digital cockpits, you know, and really making sure you're curating a set of tools for, for the right roles. So, so often we see people think about, we need to roll this out to the whole sales force. And I'm like, whenever I hear that, pause. <laughs> does, does really every single person in the sales force need this tool? And if so, how and why? And being really thoughtful about that is, is I think, the first step. The second thing is recognize that adoption is the goal, not installation. That is a really big shift I think you're seeing in enterprise software sales as well over time. Right. Customers or companies are realizing that it's not simply sufficient to roll the tool out, give everyone a training and keep your fingers crossed. You need to be setting metrics, not just around installation, but adoption, monitoring usage, following up with people, finding out why or why not they're using a tool. So sort of keeping that momentum going over time. And the good news on this one is a lot of ISVs are recognizing this, too, and they're there to help. You know, I mean, Salesforce.com may have pioneered the customer success uh, paradigm, but a lot of ISVs are picking this up. They want you to be successful in using the tool because they know that's what's going to drive you to renew. So oftentimes they're there to help you and not sort of disappear the day the software is installed like the way they might have done a decade ago. And then the last yeah. one I would say is really just be thoughtful around pace. P people can only absorb so much. Recognize sellers should be selling. They need to be spending time with clients, whether that's virtually or in person, they don't have a lot of time necessarily to go to trainings and think about adopting new, new tools. And so be thoughtful around the pace as well. Dave says that adoption, not installation, is the goal when it comes to retooling. After all, a mishmash of tools limits the return on investment, which can really confuse and overwhelm the front line. According to Salesforce's State of Sales report, 84% of sales professionals say digital transformation has accelerated in the last year which may come as no surprise due to the pandemic. AI tools are particularly fast growing in sales with a whopping 76% of sales teams adopting AI tools since 2018. The majority of high performing sales orgs are using these tools to improve internal processes and customer experiences. Fortunately for sales reps, as AI tools mature, they're finding some relief in the form of automation, allowing reps to spend more time learning about and connecting with customers. I know, David, there's no blanket answer. Is there maybe any insight you can give of like what good adoption looks like maybe kind of over time if, you know, if there is such a thing on your mind? And uh, I'd be kind of interested to hear just to kind of guide sales leaders, like what does good look like when I'm you know, trying to drive adoption for new tools? Yeah, I mean, what, what, it, what it looks like is you really need to be thinking through usage metrics is one of the most useful things you can you can see. So you need to be looking at, again, back to our earlier commentary, who is the actual target population for this tool? It might not be everyone. And so you need to think through, okay, who are my target audiences? 
what sort of usage metrics am I driving? And am I actually surveying them to ask whether they're getting the value out of the tool or not? It's a combination of those three things, like understanding the audience, how often they're using it, and are they actually telling you they're getting the value, yes or no? And so good looks like you know getting to the right place on all three of those, getting the right set of people using it. Doesn't have to be everyone all the time. And then actually making sure that they're getting value from that through doing real you know, research. You got to actually survey and talk to these people. It's been kind of interesting with the shift to virtual that like there's been this ex- explosion of tools in, in some ways. There's also been a resulting explosion in data that folks have access to now, which maybe didn't exist before. Um, so with all of these changes and this increase in data, like how has that impacted like the key metrics and the data that leadership should really be paying attention to can be overwhelming. It can be. I mean, I think that's almost the first point is that just the amount of data out there is overwhelming. And so again, the, the first thing I'd say is, you know, data for data's sake is never valuable. You need to first be thinking through what's the decision or the sales motion you're trying to drive or improve. So a perfect example might be renewals. Back in the day, it was pretty simple. Who's coming up for renewal soon? And how do I make sure I get a sales rep calling them to make sure we get the order? Well, that's clearly no longer sufficient. So as you think through what's going to drive renewals, you need to be thinking through kind of some of those metrics we just talked about. How do you have a proactive monitoring system that looks at usage? Are the, is the customer using the product? Looks, you know, potentially at where are customers from that uh, are web searchers from that domain going on our website? Are they looking at tools? What are they doing? What web searches are they doing? How do we put that together into a cocktail of metrics that then gets customers red, yellow, green? You know, where am I most worried about people churning and doing that far more proactively? That, that's, you know, one, one example of, of how you sort of flip, flip that on its head from thinking through, well, I have data. What do I do with it? No, no, no. You need to think through what are the selling motions that I'm trying to improve and how do I funnel the right new data sets into that? Renewal is a great example. I love what you just touched on right now because you talked about customer success, maybe the account management team. Um, we, you know, we're starting to talk about teams that may be outside of core sales. So what are your perspectives on taking data that may be like traditional quote unquote, like sales data, who else should have access to some of these insights? How do you best share that to make sense of it for across the org? Yeah, I think another great example to think through there is mo- most sales organizations do some version of a win-loss analysis and they try to understand Let's look at deals we won, deals we lost, why? You know, and that can take all sorts of forms from qualitative interviews, oh, we lost on price, we lost on... But again, back to one of the things that we find is if you're starting that analysis with when that person first interacted with the sales group, you're missing a huge part of the picture. And it's not marketing's problem, you know, to get you the right leads or, you know, whatever the case may be. You need to understand the full customer journey from when they first went to the website and started learning about your product where, where else they did, who they talked to, and all the way through to really understand what's driving wins and losses. And that requires, you're right, integration between two groups that in some companies are really well integrated and some companies are not, you know, and that, that's, a, that's a real challenge uh, operationally. But it's important because that's how customers are, are consuming your, your product and your company. They don't care who's in marketing and who's in sales. It's all the same to them. And so they need to, you need to be thinking about that journey holistically. So, you know, along with, with the virtual selling, we're also interacting with our own colleagues in totally different ways now. 
And one of the most critical relationships is that manager and rep relationship and the coaching that was so natural when we were in the office, you know, your manager would just come over. They may have overheard you on a sales call and give you some feedback, give you some guidance, or you are able to do that on your own because you heard your peer talk in some way. Um, how are the best sales leaders coaching their reps in this new virtual world? Yeah, but this is an opportunity I get really excited about. As I mentioned, my first job out of college was I was a field-based sales engineer. And I think back to coaching and training and what it, what it really was. It was like once a quarter, I'd spend a day with the product team getting you know trained on the product, which was you know basically a one-way data dump of all the new features. And then I'd run out in the field with whatever materials I had. And if I was lucky, my boss would come on a ride along once a quarter and maybe share some conventional wisdom about, oh, Dave, you could have said this, you could have done that. Maybe this would have been interesting. Maybe that would have been interesting. And this sort of the received wisdom of the time would somehow find its way down to me, you know. Um, now, look, th things have come a long way since then, but I bet that story probably resonates with more than one or two of your listeners, right? And I, I think if I think about the opportunities afforded by virtual selling, it just gets you so excited about being far more data-driven and prescriptive with things like that. So, you know, I think there's some great examples. Zoom is one of the companies we highlighted where, you know, almost all their demos and interactions for selling their product are virtual, which, of course, they're Zoom. That's, <laughs> that, that makes sense. But what it affords them the opportunity to do is use sophisticated software to analyze prescriptively those sales calls and what leads to better outcomes. Because, you know, frankly, sales folks sometimes can be a little bit of a skeptical crowd. Everyone's got their way of doing it and they think they know best. And there's some, some you know, justification in that. Usually if you've been around a long time, you've been successful and you kind of know what you're doing. And so getting people to change their behavior can be hard. And so instead of you know, well, hey, Dave, I've been doing this a long time. I think I know better than you. You should do this and not that. They can say things like, you know, you need to listen more and talk less. Sales calls where the customer talked 60% of the time or more actually had 25% higher close rates. And here's the data that shows you that. Like that's a wow moment for a, for a sales force, a salesperson that can sometimes cut through the sort of, you know, my opinion is type coaching that, that I think you see a lot. So I think that's a really exciting opportunity. I was going to say, David, you, you, you said like, you know, that doesn't happen anymore. You know, the conventional wisdom once a quarter, uh, I would tell you it's the same in the inside selling world that I came from. The difference is instead of a ride along once a quarter, it's conversations you overhear on the pod, right? Your know, sales manager walks by, maybe yeah. he or she sits next to you and, hey, I heard on the call you kind of worded it this way. Minding, you know, you're getting half of the conversation and probably missing a lot of the context. So, and, and a lot of salespeople... They're usually very ambitious, usually very coachable. But the important part is, like you said, getting prescriptive. I don't want coaching that could apply to everyone at the pod or anyone in sales. I want coaching that applies to me in this moment so I can get better. And that's what you know we've seen obviously work a lot better from the coaching relationship. Uh, absolutely. You know, I think of this, um, I think of sales as on this journey, right? Like I think, you know, a generation ago, you'd have this image of your in your brain of like the sales cowboy or cowgirl who's out you know traveling the world doing deals all that sort of stuff and kind of you know very independent doing their own thing and there's still something to that but i think we're on this journey with sales where people are learning well wait actually data matters and i can be more prescriptive and i can be more scientific you know i think marketing went on this journey a, a generation ago from 
you know, Mad Men style, what does Don Draper think the ad should be to like really scientific and prescriptive notions of testing and learning and iterating and, you know, all the things that we've seen with the transition to digital, I think sales is the next frontier for all of that. And it's just going to be a sea change over the next generation and how sales leaders coach their teams, execute their sales processes. Everything's going to change. Dave, are you telling me there's going to be like amazing TV series that's going to come out Ooh. with a suave sales leader? <laughs> I'm, angling for, I'm angling for my next job is really what that really yeah. was about, Sheena. Well, we'll write a screenplay and pitch it to HBO or, or whatever network, maybe Do Netflix. Well, so I, I've enjoyed this a lot, David, because we've talked about things to be successful in virtual sales, you know, digital footprint. We just talked about coaching. I'm curious if there's anything else that you've seen from your research or experience that's preventing teams from being successful when it comes to virtual selling. Yeah, I think sometimes maybe the the another piece of advice I give to particularly the more senior sales leaders as an organization is approach all this with a little bit of humility. You know, I think all of those folks reach the position that they're at, whatever position they are, VP of a territory or, or perhaps running an entire sales organization, usually because they were pretty darn successful coming up through the ranks within sales. And so they probably have a pretty strong point of view around what it takes to be successful and how that all needs to work. And that's great. But I think you just need to recognize that the world is changing, you know, and, and the way that you did it coming up probably isn't going to be the winning method going forward. And so recognizing that you personally are going to be on a journey as your sales force is on this journey, I think is really important. And just being, you know, a bit humble and willing to embrace change and recognize that you might not know everything and there, there might be new and different ways to approach things. That's maybe a little bit of a softer thing to think about, but you know, I think it's, it's really important. I love that. That's such great uh, advice for all of our listeners. So Dave, we end all of our episodes with the same question. So we're going to ask you the same as well, which is how would you describe sales in one word? Fun. Ooh, that was was quick. I think that was the quickest response we've ever gotten to that question. (laughs) We don't prep it. We don't put it on the dock. We, we, we put people on the spot. So that was impressive, David. I was, I was going to say that if you says virtual, I would have, I would have appreciated the, (laughs) the, I had to throw you somewhat of a curveball. (laughs) That's amazing. Well, Dave, it's been a pleasure to have you on a reveal. Thanks so much for joining us today virtually and hope to see you soon. All right. Well, thanks guys. This was fun. Absolutely. Thanks, David. Every week we bring you a micro action, something to think about or an action you can put into play today. No matter when the pandemic ends, virtual selling is here to stay. David highlighted that change takes time, but building a virtual sales infrastructure generates measurable results. Here are three questions that'll help you assess where you are today with your virtual selling capabilities. First, do you have a plan with specific goals? Next, how are you building digital discovery so that customers can easily find, pick, and purchase your product? And finally, have you reviewed the tools you currently have in place? Are they providing the data and help needed to execute? Or more importantly, are they curated for different roles? Did you like today's episode? Subscribe now so next week's episode will be waiting for you on Monday. And if you really like the podcast, please leave a review. Five-star reviews go a long way to help get the word out there. And if you're not ready to give a five, check out another episode and see if we've won you over by then. And if you have any feedback or you want us to interview one of your favorite revenue leaders, just email us at reveal at gong.io.